This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated books and comics show here on trek fm i'm your host matthew rushing and with me as he is always these days is dan gunther of trek lit reviews dan how's it going matthew it's going great glad to be back on the show once again uh it's becoming my regular wednesday routine (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's funny how that happens. You know, I do 602 on Tuesdays. I do this on Wednesdays all day. I, uh, you know, I have to work on production of 602. And then, of course, on Thursdays, I'm working on production for this show. So it is definitely routine now. And uh, I'm excited because this week we have some really fun news to be able to talk about. Uh, Margaret Clark was on the Visionary Treks podcast um, uh Talking to Margaret, she gave up some some goodies to them, and one of the biggest here was the fact that David R. George III, we already know in July he has Sacraments of Fire come out, um, but uh, Dan, what else did we learn from Margaret about what's coming next for Deep Space Nine? Well, like you say, his next Deep Space Nine novel is called Sacraments of Fire, and the follow-up to that, which is due out in January of 2016 is going to be titled titled Ascendance. So I think a lot of Deep Space Nine novel fans know what that means, and it's something that we're all very, very excited about. You know, it is something that I'm excited about, and I don't know exactly how he's going to make it work, but I have faith that David R. George III can definitely make this work. Obviously, the Ascendance trilogy, uh, or, or just the storyline, had, had been really put forth with um, Soul Key and Fearful Symmetry as well. And those books had kind of built up and ramped up to this storyline that we all knew that w- was coming. And then Deep Space Nine, the book series, just kind of fizzled out. And that was because it felt like uh, the TNG books kind of took over. Mm-hmm. after Nemesis and all, and we didn't really go back mm-hmm. to Deep Space Nine, and Deep Space Nine was also behind the times right. chronologically, and they just moved Deep Space Nine forward instead of kind of filling in those gaps. So it'd be really exciting to get some of those gaps filled in, and this is really interesting news. 
She said, Ben Sisko will be staying a lot closer to home than we might have anticipated because of what happened in the fall. Starfleet has told Sisko that he can't go to the Gamma Quadrant, that they need him in the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. What do you think that means? Like, do you think that means he's on the Robinson, or do you think maybe they're going to give him back DS9? I don't somehow? know. Um, I think either would be really interesting, but, you know, I'm reminded of your ideas of bringing him back to Deep Space Nine and making him an admiral. Um, you know, like we had that discussion earlier, instead of a bad admiral, he'd be a badass admiral. And uh, there you go. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, and, and I mean, you know, this is all kind of jumping to conclusions and who knows what they're going to do, but I would love to see Cisco take more of a, well, let's just say commanding role in the Deep Space Nine novels. Yeah, not only commanding role in the Deep Space Nine novels, but just in general in the Star Trek universe at this time period, I feel like he's really been pushed to the the, the wayside mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, for a guy that's part God <laughs> and, uh, you know, saved the entire Alpha Quadrant, comes back, well, he's been stripped of his godness, basically, <laughs> and because they don't really deal with that at all in, in the storyline, they just kind of take away his 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 being the emissary they take away any of his specialness of you know being part prophet none of that really ever played out so it would be great just to finally see cisco put back in the limelight in some ways and of all the characters on any star trek show to want to be an admiral um i think that cisco displayed throughout especially the last few seasons to be space nine that he is sufficiently qualified to be uh, that kind of person. He thinks, I think, big picture and can see all the different moving parts and what kind of needs to happen in a way that we would hope an admiral would. So who knows what's going to happen with Cisco? but it is very interesting to me. I'm very excited to see where they're going to go next with his character. Agreed completely. Um, I think Cisco, like you said, more than any other character, you know, and, and, and the Bajor sector, you know, a fairly important sector in the Federation with a fairly new member of the Federation, I think it deserves an admiral looking over that corner of the quadrant. Well, and especially one who's familiar with it, you know, especially mm-hmm. with the uh, Cardassians, you know, having a closer relationship now, uh, you still have the wormhole there with the whole entire Gamma Quadrant. And from the missing... I there's a there's always something that can come through the wormhole that you never know and who better to have as uh, you know the lead on the station i i think especially with roe by his side mm-hmm. would be fantastic um i would love to see that interaction between those two i think it'd be really great so definitely and i mean a population that reveres and worships you starfleet might not be comfortable with that but you know that could come in handy Well, it is true. Uh, There is still a special relationship that Ben has with Bajor. And again, I I think that's really a storyline that just got dropped. Mm -hmm. And I I think maybe it's because the writers weren't necessarily sure what to do. Uh, You know, it's it's a tough thing. How do you bring Ben Sisko back and what do you do with him afterwards now that you've made him basically a god? And... um, I, and in some ways, I feel like they just kind of ignored it. And I'm not sure that was the best call. But with David R. George III, Sacraments of Fire and Ascendance coming out, 
I think this is going to be fantastic. Uh, the next thing that we have, she talked a little bit about Titan, the fact that John Jackson Miller's takedown, as well as James Swallow's sight unseen, are both out this year. And really, even though takedown is a next generation title, at least on the top, she said it's very much more a, a Titan book, and it's kind of a bridge between the two. Because at this point, Starfleet's just not sure what to do with Will. I mean, he's an admiral, but they made him one because of the circumstances. Not necessarily, I think, because they wanted Will an admiral. So what do you do with an admiral when you don't really need him to be an admiral anymore? It's uh, it's going to be interesting. So I'm really excited for both of these books. I really enjoy John Jackson Miller and uh, the fact that uh, James Swallow is back right in Titan. I'm super happy about that. Definitely. Both of these guys, I think, are going to bring a lot to the Titan series, which we haven't really seen a lot of. I mean, we had them in the fall, but as far as the Titan novels themselves go, Michael Martin kind of had a couple there, but we haven't really seen a good focus on Titan in a while, and I'm definitely excited to see where these go. Well, and then on top of that, the fact that, you know, this year she said, no data books. Mm-hmm. They're still looking for somebody to pitch something to her that she really wants to okay at this point. It needs to be really special for him. And uh, one of those was Jeff Lang and hasn't worked out yet for data, but 2016, we're going to get another Deep Space Nine book. <laughs> Absolutely. Us Niner fans are cups running over with these. So Lang has previously talked about this book, uh, which is set for release in 2016. And he ta- he mentioned it as being kind of a 1980s buddy adventure book featuring Miles O'Brien and Nog, which I don't know, that has me excited. I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty cool. I'm just imagining that O'Brien grows like kind of a a mullet, you know, <laughs> and turns into a, a little bit of a, a Mel Gibson type, you know, from Lethal Weapon. And then Nog is actually the one who plays the straight man, Danny Glover <laughs> type character. So uh-huh. that would be, yeah, that's going to be funny. I, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, I'd be all over that one for sure. And we know those two work together well. We've seen that a couple times in Deep Space Nine. Uh, I think this has the potential to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. With that, the book that Greg Cox is going to have coming out in December, kind of closing out the year, Child of Two Worlds, is actually going to be a Pike-era story. So finally, Greg can talk about it. Uh, He was excited to be able to do that in Trek BBS. And I'm excited to see that we're going to be returning with some more Pike-era stories. It does sound like maybe this will be a Spock-centric novel, though. Mm -hmm. Judging by the title, that seems to be the case. I kind of liked uh, how... His last novel was a movie-era novel, and a lot of people were saying, oh, man, you know, we should write more of those. And he said, well, the next one's not going to be a movie-era novel. And everybody kind of assumed, oh, another five-year mission novel. But no, he's kind of flipped our expectations around, and now we're getting a Pike novel, which I always enjoy. So that's pretty cool. Well, and the last one we had, Burning Dreams, was so good. I really enjoyed that novel. And the exciting thing is, is Greg Cox is going to be giving us another TOS movie-era story in ebook format. In fact, we've got some great ebook stuff coming out. I think they're really dedicated to this idea of the ebook and being able to find a way to tell some great stories in a smaller format for less money 
and really just whet that appetite for fans. And personally, I'm a huge fan, and I know you are of the ebook. Mm-hmm. Definitely, they're nice small stories that you can you can kind of read in an afternoon. And it, as Christopher Bennett said on the Trek BBS, this just means more Star Trek. I mean, who can complain about that? Well, what's exciting, too, is it gives the writers an opportunity to tell some of those stories that they might have in their heads and, and are really good. They just haven't had a, a place to be able to do it yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, anytime you're giving Greg Cox or, or Christopher L. Bennett or Paula Block and Terry Erdman, who are going to be doing another Quark novella called The Empty Sack, I think that's exciting. In fact, Grand Nagus Rom is going to be visiting his brother on the station, which I'm very excited to, to see that. I think it'll be a lot of fun. And actually, you know, in the orb, Chris and I did our Deep Space Nine, what if it had an eighth season? Like they had known they weren't stopping at seven. They had an eighth season. And one of the things I talked about was Grand Negus, Rom, and Lita coming to the station to meet Quark, where they were going to go then negotiate treaties with the Dominion and with Odo. So um, I'm, I'm excited to see that um, and what that play between them looks like now that in a lot of ways rom really has the upper hand (laughs) definitely but of course with it being rom he will be of course very gracious um probably much to the annoyance of quark (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and lastly she said you know that the e-book trilogy we're going to be getting with the new frontier confirm some of the speculation about the form setting of the novellas, in particular the story and where it will pick up where the novels had left off. So that's going to be very interesting. And I know there are so many people who can't wait to be getting more New Frontier books. Definitely. Uh, As a New Frontier fan myself, I'm really excited to see the story continue. Uh, Hopefully, you know, beyond... Uh, this trilogy, we might get even more New Frontier. That's just speculation at this point, though. Uh, I would love to see the series continue. Well, this is all very exciting book news. If you want to read more, you can uh, hit the link in the show notes and check it out on the Trek Collective. Or, of course, listen to the interview there on Visionary Treks. And really appreciate those guys sharing that with us. So we've got something uh, we talked about a little bit last week, and we have another issue, actually, just to talk about this week as well. Trek Apes 2 is what I'm calling it. (laughs) And the second issue has dropped. It actually dropped as we're speaking today, which is the Wednesday. So did you get a chance to read this one, Dan? And and, uh, what were your thoughts on the second issue? Did it it get any better for you? Uh, I did read this, Matthew, and... There's certainly more happening in this issue than in the first issue. But again, I'm I'm having trouble really getting excited about this story. Uh, there are a few things in it that bug me a little bit as a Star Trek fan. And kind of how they're telling this story is kind of leaving me wanting. I don't know... I have a few thoughts about specifics, but my overall impression... A little better than the last issue, but not a lot. If if you guys haven't read it, we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth now, so spoiler alert. The, the Enterprise team, they make contact with Taylor. They actually meet up with uh, Taylor and Dr. Cornelius and Zira. Taylor wants Kirk and company to help him defeat the apes, and yet Kirk says no. 
And obviously because of the Prime Directive, which he has made the executive decision as the captain that it does apply even though they are in an alternate universe. Kirk asks for the Doctor's help in learning more about the situation with the Klingons and the gorillas. And as the issue ends, which I don't know how this happens, but somehow Taylor is, is able to knock out Chekhov without anybody else realizing that it happens and run off with his communicator. Um, strange thing was, is that in a few of the panels, Chekhov actually looked like a girl. So I'm not sure if he's had sort of sort of operation or if this is alternate series Chekhov. Yeah, I don't know what's going on here exactly. As far as I can tell, the only reason he was able to get away with this is everybody somehow, for some reason, kept their backs turned to the commotion going on. Almost as if everyone was saying, can we turn around now? Nope, Chekhov's still, okay, nope, nope, can't look, can't look. Let him steal the communicator. That or, or maybe Taylor had thrown a rock <laughs> and everybody looked that way. Spock scanning so on the tricorder. Kind of, I, I believe exactly. it was a rock, but, you know, we should yeah. look at it some more. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. We should go see if we can find that rock. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I wanted this to be better. Me too, definitely. There's a lot in this comic that I'm just... Well, for example, Kirk is really worried about the Prime Directive and, you know, justifying not doing anything based on that, but... Based on the say-so of this Taylor guy that he's just met, you know, it's okay to mass-stun a whole bunch of gorillas and apes from orbit. I, th- I don't get that. How is that following yeah. the Prime Directive? I, I don't understand. Um, I just feel like that this is ridiculously silly. Yeah. And they're having to spend so much time justifying in the comic a valid scientific reason for the possibility of this happening mm-hmm. that, you know, it's Spock is giving this PowerPoint literally in the comic <laughs> of, uh, uh, you know, about how this can happen quote unquote scientifically about being on this, this world and this planet with these apes. And, and, and it just, it's a crossover. So you shouldn't need to explain the scientific nature of this to anyone. Yeah. You know, at least of all the characters here, they don't it's not important for me to read two pages on this. You mm-hmm. know, you're wasting space for what's a contrivance already anyway. So just get on with it. Mm-hmm. There were yeah, a few other things in this story. Um one thing that I remembered too was uh Oh, we're going to beam you down to somewhere that might be familiar. I've got just the place. Well, I'm not going to ask you where that is. I'm just going to trust that, you know, okay, sure. That sounds good. So we beam. Spock knows what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. So they beam down to the base of the Statue of Liberty and I'll get that shocked moment. You know, I, I don't know. Some of these moments, most of these moments, they just aren't working for me. It's... They're trying so hard, and it's I, I think it's just failing so miserably mm-hmm. at, at what it's trying to do, at least for me. I am sure, though, that there are plenty of fans who are loving it. And so oh, yeah. this is just you know our opinion, and, and it's just not for me. I, I don't think it's worth picking up and, and, and buying these issues because so far it hasn't been interesting enough. Now, they could get really interesting, and I hope that issue three will be much more worth my time, 
you know, once we get a look at it. And so, who knows, though? I, I'm not sure. Now, we have had a, another new comic that's come out, and, and it's the new Visions made out of mud. What did you think of, of this story with John Burns, you know, photo comic and, and having Henry Mudd come back uh, and the way that he makes that happen? <laughs> well, Matthew, this one I actually really did enjoy. Um, I thought it was a very clever story for one thing, but probably more importantly, I felt like he was really having fun with the concept and really kind of playing around with what he can do with a story like this. Uh, so I was definitely entertained throughout this story. When I think one of the questions that a lot of people would be asking is how do you do an issue with Harry Mudd when he's not in the show very much? Mm -hmm. um, he doesn't have a lot of footage to actually be able to work with. And, and I thought that the way that he overcomes that issue was really funny. And spoiler alert again, He's been tricked by a captain who is very upset with Kirk into changing his body into Kirk's body. <laughs> and I'm not going to explain how all that happens because I think this is really worth picking up the comic to read. So most of the story you see, Harry Mudd is actually looks like Kirk. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny. <laughs> and actually, Matthew, um, I was reading a bit more about this. Apparently, there's some other reasoning for that. If you notice, even when he looks like Harry Mudd, you don't really see his face or anything like that. I'm given to understand that there was some kind of issue with getting the appearance uh, rights from Roger C. Carmel's estate, because he's, of course, passed away. But apparently he wasn't able to get the rights to actually have the likeness of the actor who played Harry Mudd. So I personally thought reading through this, this was just the most clever way to do a story about Harry Mudd without actually having to show the original character. Exactly. I, I mean, if you if you can't give the the original character what better way than to kind of find a fun Star Trek reason for having them look like somebody else mm -hmm. and just the fact that it was Kirk really made sense to me because Captain Kirk and, and Harry Mudd have this kind of like rivalry at, at least on Harry Mudd's side I, I think in some ways he kind of wants to be as cool and suave <laughs> as Kirk he and he pictures oh, himself being that way <laughs> But he's not actually him. And no. so to actually have him turn into Kirk, and Kirk keeps saying throughout this whole issue, I don't I don't really see the, the problem with uh, the way that you look. Uh, why, why would this be a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned the rivalry thing. I noticed uh, there's, you know, there's the rivalry between Kirk and Harry Mudd. And then there's the whole Captain Ronald Tracy wanting to get revenge on Kirk. And then later in the story, we see Koloth, who also wants to get revenge on Kirk. So, man, Kirk's just going around the galaxy, pissing people off. <laughs> you know, it's like his speciality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so this issue, I think, is definitely worth picking up. Um, there are some things in here that we have kind of talked about before. The new artwork and the new things that he's created there are some points for me still that i get drawn out of the story because of the look mm -hmm. that he's created with the photoshop 
But at the same time, the story was so entertaining that I really just enjoyed it. And even with the artistic issues that I might have with the choices that he made in some of the Photoshop creations, mm-hmm. I still think this is completely, uh, you know, it feels like Star Trek, the original series, season four. I agree completely. And even the uh, photoshopped bits, I feel like he's improving. That might just be wishful thinking on my part, but I felt that the backgrounds looked a little better this time and felt a little bit more natural with a couple exceptions here and there. I agree with you. I do think he is definitely improving. And I think part of that is probably he's he's been able to get a little bit faster at, at what he is doing. So that mm-hmm. is, is great. And uh, again, I think that the strength of this series is the storylines. And as long as the storylines continue to be strong, this comic is is worth picking up because uh, it, it, it really does have the look and the feel of, of the original series in a way that... Even some of the hand-drawn comics just don't sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, I really appreciated that. Definitely. And the biggest thing for me this time around was feeling like he was really having fun with the concept and really just playing in the oh, sandbox yeah. that is Star Trek. And if he can kind of maintain that feeling that this is a fun project and and keep that excitement going, then I'm on board. Completely. I'm with you. And I, I hope that this will continue because I, I think it's been a fun exciting look at at Star Trek again and the original series. What better place to have that than in the comics? You know, that's really why we come back. We want great Star Trek stories, but also fun. And uh, I think that John Byrne is really hitting it out of the park most of the time with these comics. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go into our feature where we're going to be talking about the Q Gambit series, we want to remind our audience here about Audible.com and it being the premier source for audiobooks. It's got more than 150,000 titles to choose from. They have new things coming in each week. You've got classics, bestsellers, you've got famous Star Trek books such as Federation, Spock's World, Prime Directive. Audible really has something for anyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get your free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. And it's the best way to catch up on books that you just might not have time for, especially if you're working out, just taking a drive, on your way to work, all of those things. So give it a try today. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the network. Well, Dan, I'm really excited to be talking about this. Uh, Chris and I had covered some of these comics, and I hadn't actually finished the series until today, so that was a lot of fun. But we're going to be covering the Q Gambit of the ongoing series here. This is a crossover between Deep Space Nine from the JJ-verse, though, and the crew of the JJ-verse Enterprise, courtesy of our friend Q. (laughs) And I've got to say, hands down... I really like this idea. Uh, I liked it when it first started. I was obviously trepidatious by how it would go. But on a whole, I I think that the mixture here, just the right amount of mixture between what we kind of know and what we don't know, and throwing it all together and really giving these characters, especially, I think, Kirk, some really great growth in this series. I agree completely, Matthew. I 
really enjoyed this series uh, from beginning to end. Like you, I was a little bit worried to begin with, um, but it's very, very, very clear that the writer involved here knows his Star Trek and these characters and the little bits that they borrow from Deep Space Nine and throw in. Just incredible. Uh, This series has really come a long way since uh, doing kind of rehashes of original series episodes. This this has really shown that this ongoing series is its own thing and is really cool. Exactly. I I think that this is the kind of story that I really expect from the J.J. universe is is kind of taking things that we know and turning it on its head, you know, and, and creating its own story. So I don't feel just like it is a rehash of something. And and the way that they do this in the Q game, I think is just really smart. In the, in the first issue, it, it starts off with Picard actually kind of reminiscing about the fact that Prime Spock has, has left this universe that he knows and that Nero has disappeared as well. And apparently they have been able to save this galaxy. And as he does that, he's, he's on the Enterprise E and his old friend shows up. And I, I just love the fact that whenever, you know, Picard thinks things are, are finally going to settle down, Q likes to show up and remind him that's just not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And friend here, of course, is in very large air quotes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, friend, uh, quote, quote. And I really like that, you know, he brings this this whole thing. Look, you're reminiscing about Spock. Spock is actually alive. He's gone to this alternate universe about a century behind you, and his going there could destroy everything. <laughs> it's all very complicated. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, you wouldn't understand, John Luke. Uh, your mind <laughs> is just too feeble for this. I, it's it's a great cold opening, I think, for the series because it kind of grounds us where the whole JJ verse started. You know, um, the the fact that Spock was doing this, he, he was he was racing towards Romulus to save it, and he just didn't make it in time. And then everything spirals from there. Mm-hmm. And the comics had told that story with its countdown comic, and and now we're just kind of being reminded of where the Prime Universe is in relation to where the JJ universe is at this point. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. This kind of story is something that I think, you know, you can only tell in either a novel or a comic format and they really do this story justice and bringing these universes together with Q I think is inspired and really cool. The uh, artwork as well. I think they get the character likenesses so dead on in this issue it is something that i really like about the entire series the entire run i think the artwork is just fan stinkantastic um if all the comics looked like this artwork i i really really do appreciate it there's some other comics that they've done with the ongoing series that i've really liked and it kind of looks a little bit more painted 
But this style really is fantastic. In fact, some of the wide shots that they do, like the the Enterprise here on its five-year mission when Kirk is doing his captain's log and you're, you're seeing the Enterprise fly through space. It's just really beautiful shots. Um, mm-hmm. And I really appreciate the, the care and the attention to detail they put in. Because sometimes in a comic, um, you will get a page like this and you feel like they've done it so quickly that it, it's really not capturing that essence. But this comic, all of the pages here, there's not a page where I'm like, oh, I just, I don't like the art there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no empty space. They've never, they don't really leave anything half done. That page you're mentioning with the Enterprise flying by, like the background is just gorgeous and they've used every inch of space to show this vista of stars and planets it's just beautiful well and what i like too is that we we finally have gotten to the five-year mission and i i think that that is really cool you know we've been talking about it with the jj universe here with the comic and they're finally there like this is their first big experience out in deep space and <laughs> it, i'm i'm so excited to have it here and i love the little cameo that Q has with Kirk where he bumps into him as a security officer and he's like man this I really like the way this Enterprise looks you know this design is so much better than that beige look and Kirk looks back at him he's like beige (laughs) (laughs) and it is it is true there's a there is a brightness and a kind of a Evervescence that that new Enterprise has to it that uh, you know the especially the Enterprise D just did not have <laughs> definitely and in this scene too not only did they get the likeness of Q so perfect his voice just and his mannerisms in just the couple little lines he has I totally hear Q I hear John Delancey in this which is very important I mean if you are going to do a Q story. As with any story, but especially if you're going to do Q, it needs to sound and feel like Q when you're reading it. Um, you, you do need to be able to hear John Delancey saying the words to you. And if you're not, it would really pull you out of the story. But there's never a point in all six issues that I think, oh, he's they're totally missing the storyline here. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I'm surprised at how well he mixes with this new crew as well. Um, They keep the voices very genuine with both Q and with this new J.J. Abrams Trek crew as well. Yeah, they really do that. And and what's what's fun about the story is the way they're going to mix a lot of things. So so they come upon a a ship and, and... Kirk's like, what? Why is there a Federation ship out? We're supposed to be the farthest one out here. And... Uhura tells them that it's it's the small wood, and they're immediately surrounded by all of these Klingons, and they're taking all of this fire. And Uhura mentions that if you translate small wood in Japanese, it means Kobayashi. <laughs> and before we know it, the Enterprise, in a very epic shot, like awesome, awesome shot just explodes (laughs) this must have been a lot of fun to draw and color this looks amazing it really does and i kind of wish that they had saved the the clap clap 
there, you know, <laughs> to the other page that when you see it explode, you immediately want to flip the page to see, is this for real? Like, are they really going to blow up the Enterprise? <laughs> but you automatically know that Q has intervened here because mm-hmm. there's clapping. Right. There's literally hands at the bottom saying, clap, clap, clap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we had already seen Q, so there's already that doubt in your head. But yeah, like you said, this kind of clapping at the bottom definitely erases um, erases all doubt that this is, you know, nothing more than uh, Q's shenanigans. So Q finally shows up on the bridge. He's sitting in Kirk's spot. Of course. Everybody's <laughs> fine. And he tells him he's bringing him here for a reason, that basically he needs him. <laughs> basically, Kirk tries to, like, push-poke him, <laughs> and he goes right through Q, and he's like, it always gets so physical with you guys so quickly. Um, <laughs> and he just disappears. And then I love, he takes Kirk for a little fresh air <laughs> <laughs> on the whole of the Enterprise. Of course. <laughs> And what's so great is they have this conversation and and basically Q lays out, look, you don't believe in the no-win scenario, but there is such a thing as the no-win scenario. And basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you that that's the case. Mm -hmm. And I love that to do that, he confronts Kirk with what happened in Into Darkness and and his death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a really cool scene and and very cute. I mean, I I think back again to tapestry and revisiting moments in your life and the artwork and the framing and the dialogue in this kind of revisiting of the Into Darkness uh, quote-unquote death scene was just really well done. I love this scene. Well, and it's really cool too because... You know, he challenges Kirk, look, you think that you basically have beaten death. There is no no-win scenario for you because you've already beaten the biggest no-win scenario. And Q tells him that he's wrong and he's going to show him and he flings the Enterprise across the quadrant and you have that epic shot <laughs> of them in front of Deep Space Nine with all these Jem'Hadar ships around it and... The question is not just where they are, but when they are. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's what we were all wondering as as we go into issue two. What the heck is going on? <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah, the the kind of questions that it raises, like, what a great way to end the uh, the first issue of a series. And, again, I, I don't want to be ragging on the Planet of the Apes story a lot, but that first issue just kind of fizzled out for me this here this is how you end a star trek comic and make you really interested to get the next one exactly i i completely agree with you um because the next issue issue two starts with another epic scene of the enterprise being attacked by all these jim hadar ships and just basically being obliterated and i think it was kind of fun because it really shows the difference between even though the JJ verse enterprise is bigger than the original enterprise. It's still no match for the ships of the dominion from, you know, a 24th century time period. And I think that's a really cool thing to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they are still a century out of date, so it makes sense. You know, you 
there's no chance for them to win this battle. So, well, and then it was very cool to see Jim Hadar soldiers beam aboard the Enterprise, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, humans! No wonder this was so easy." <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty awesome. So I, I this whole scene here that's playing out of, of them taking over the Enterprise is just really awesome. And then, of course, they tell them that they're property of the Dominion, and you end up with that awesome shot of the J.J. Enterprise docked at Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. And, of course, you know, some J.J. lens flares thrown in as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to have that. Um, it wouldn't be a JJ comic without that but it's a great scene like oh, they yeah. the way they get the station it looks great and it's you know a treat to see well first of all to see deep space 9 again and the Jem'Hadar ships but then to have the enterprise from the JJ verse in the middle of all that it's just a really cool visual well and what's interesting is how much of deep space 9 looks pretty much the same i mean not a lot has changed from what we know from the show and so as Kirk is being escorted to the captain's office there, or the commander's office, you're looking at all these scenes like the promenade, the corridors and everything, and it looks very familiar. And it turns out that Dukat is still the commander in this this timeline of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And of course, Dukat, the guy you love to hate, um, so cool to see him again. Well, and the artwork for him, I think, looks really well done. Um, they, and they've given him a nice scar across his face to kind of change just a little bit of his look. But the voice for him, again, you feel like it's the Ducat from Deep Space Nine. And that's really what you need. Absolutely. Uh, the writer, like I said, clearly is a huge fan of Deep Space Nine and really knows his stuff. Um, I, I totally heard Mark Alamo as Ducat speaking oh, throughout yeah. all of this. Well, and then there's the the great scene where Kirk's trying to figure out what's going on. Ducat's telling him, look, you're basically a century out of date. The Federation hasn't been around here anymore. He's like, I don't even know in a Federation calendar what we'd say how long it is because, well, nobody's used that in like a century. And Kirk's just like, "That that's impossible. Like... <laughs> Why Why are we a century away from where we were? Yeah, no, he's, uh, you know, like the Vulcan science director. At, no, that, that can't happen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even though Kirk has seen time travel, and he's very familiar with it from, you know, Spock coming from a different universe and all of that stuff. He's very <laughs> familiar with the idea of time travel, but I just think it's very interesting. And so, mm-hmm. Not to mention witnessed an omnipotent being put his ship back together moments ago (laughs) exactly uh and so ducat kind of further explains the fact that the federation uh and its member planets had surrendered to them and he says you know what you say is impossible i just say is inevitable and he says in the meantime you're going to be my honored guest and he throws him in the brig and uh, luckily scotty and her happen to be there along with somebody else Mm mm-hmm and of course, it's great to see the emissary again on this uh, nearly full page reveal of the Cisco. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and it really does. I mean, it looks just like 
what you expect Ben Sisko to look like. Uh, in fact, uh, I love that they went with the shaved head, you know, and the goatee too, because that's the classic Cisco look that we all kind of really know. I mean, that's the real badass Cisco. Absolutely, yeah. And that's the one we're <laughs> going to need in this series, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then, of course, uh, the rest of the crew is being told that they're going to be uh, transported down to the planet of Bajor into a camp. And then we've got Dukat sitting on the JJ Enterprise <laughs> in the captain's chair taking over the ship, which I don't know if I ever expected to see that scene. No, definitely not. And it's quite the image, you know, Dukat sitting in the chair on the JJ verse Enterprise with every station manned by Jem Hadar. I think that's really cool. <laughs> well, I have a question that I'm not sure if there's really any answer to other than the fact that it's familiar. So the JJ Enterprise looks similar yet very different. It's bigger and everything like that. Why does everything in this 24th century look just like we'd expected to look in the prime universe <laughs> in fact the very next page is the defiant coming in right and it looks exactly the same and the you know the station looks exactly the same the gem ships look exactly the same why isn't there some kind of because when you go to the klingon side their ships don't look completely the same as we remember i don't it was interesting to me they didn't take the chance to kind of give it a little bit of a spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the kind of, you know, logical mind in me thinks like, no, that doesn't make sense. They should look different. But, you know, the Deep Space Nine fan in me is really happy to see all of this, just as I remember. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I, I don't really think there's a good answer other than the fact that they, they actually need it to be recognizable to... Uh, the most uh, layman of fans mm -hmm. for Star Trek. You know, you, you can't have everybody know exactly what everything is in Star Trek. And the best way to, to do this story, if you're going to move it to kind of that Deep Space Nine era, you needed to have it look the same so that all fans would completely recognize it and have people who maybe aren't the biggest fans in the world understand what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And... Like I said, it's it's welcome. It's really good to see the Defiant as as we remember her in Deep Space Nine and these characters, of course, as we remember them. Well, and I love the way that they get rescued is that a Jim Hazar soldier comes in, tells Cisco it's time to go, and it turns into Odo. Yeah, that was a it's great It's just reveal. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then... They're, Kirk and Cisco are having this argument about whether they're going to leave or not without Kirk's crew, and... Cisco's like, are are you gonna leave or or not? And Kirk's like, no. And Cisco's like, well, I can only ask for forgiveness, and then punches him out. <laughs> exactly. Um, I thought it was interesting. I I had a couple thoughts when Q says it always gets so physical with you people, and then Cisco punches Kirk out. Well, when Cisco first met Q on Deep Space Nine, what was the one thing he did that Picard never did, and that was hit Q, right? So Yeah. You notice that Q and Cisco don't have a lot of scenes together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think Q has engineered that on purpose because even though he's omnipotent, man, that Cisco has a mean right hook. Yeah, exactly. He's the last person he wants to be around. 
Um, well, the Defiant beams them up and they get away. And Kirk wakes up in the sick bay with Q reminding him that, look, if you have nothing to lose, you really can't win. And so, yeah, your crew is in danger because Kirk, as being, especially this Kirk after Into Darkness and everything that's happened to them, it's become his family and he is very worried. That's who he cares the most about. And he's very upset the fact that he hasn't been able to do for the, anything for them yet. Mm-hmm. And then he has a great conversation there with Cisco where Cisco kind of confirms their worst suspicions that, look, we couldn't rescue your crew because we didn't have time, but we have some friends that maybe who, who can help you. And we're rendezvousing with them shortly. Mm-hmm. But where they're going to rendezvous is a little bit different than you might expect. <laughs> and again, this comic ends on a really cool note showing us what appears to be uh, Klingon-occupied Earth and the Golden Gate Bridge with Klingon symbols adorning it. And it's a really Do cool Do they hook. call this San Fran Kronos? <laughs> or Kalis Francisco? yeah either one would be pretty good i'm not sure which one you'd call it but it is a fantastic shot and this was where the klingon birds of prey have that narada look to them as well as the kind of prime universe birds of prey Mm -hmm. and so but i guess we've already seen that in the comics they've already established it so maybe that's why they just continued to use it yeah maybe i mean i i can't imagine who would be only readers of the comic and not know anything of the prime universe but maybe there are a few so that would be very recognizable as a klingon ship whereas if it were something else and hypothetically you had only read the comics maybe you wouldn't realize it was klingons i'm not sure yeah yeah well and then the third issue cisco kind of really explains to kirk the political lay of the lands and I, I really like that and especially the splash page that they have of showing the Klingon Empire and the Dominion and how all of this came to be yeah the history of well the future history of of what came to pass in the JJ verse is pretty chilling and pretty dark and like we see on the next page for example the results of the human resistance against the Klingons where we see skulls adorning earth and the entire population under the boot heel of the Klingons. It's not a bright future. Definitely not a bright future, especially since, you know, this dominion came screaming out of the wormhole, starting attacking people. They infiltrated the Romulan empire and blew it up with its own red matter the Klingons and the Romulans join forces together and they take over the Federation because the Federation decides they want to go for the diplomatic route. <laughs> I don't understand how, maybe they didn't have, they just didn't have Cisco in charge. You know, they didn't realize <laughs> that they needed to have this war. So the Klingon Empire takes over the Federation and that's why they're ruling Earth. And Cisco has grown up under the Klingon flag. In fact, Earth isn't even called Earth anymore. It's called Terra. Mm-hmm. The one thing that this kind of made me uh, wonder about was, I, I guess in this universe, the contact between the Dominion 
and the Alpha Quadrant must have been much earlier than in the Prime Universe if Cisco grew up under uh, Klingon rule on Earth. Well, and it does seem to be that because they've established that Kirk and his crew had disappeared a hundred years earlier. Mm -hmm. And because of their disappearance, basically, it seems like everything's changed. Mm -hmm. That somehow, because Kirk and his crew weren't out there exploring, they weren't out there, you know, making those first contacts, they weren't out there protecting the Federation the way they would have. Everything ha- has changed for them, and um, the the history of the Federation basically changed because Kirk wasn't around. And I thought that was really interesting, kind of subtly showing you just how important you know Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise mm-hmm. that that family are going to be to this JJ verse. Definitely, yeah, kind of. Uh... Well, in the Prime Universe, Kirk and the Enterprise really shaped the history of the Federation. And it looks like in the JJ-verse, Kirk and his crew are destined to do much the same thing. Definitely. And one of the things that's really interesting that as Kirk and Sisko are continuing to have this conversation as they, as they have arrived at Earth, find out that Sisko is a spy. He's been working for the Free Federation Resistance and trying to find a way to bring the Federation back. And I thought one of the neatest things was what he explains to to Kirk is that, look, the strength of the Federation wasn't in its ships and everything else. It's really in the ideals that make it special. And that's what's living on. And and that's what they're trying to find a way to bring back. Very much a very Star Trekian message here. Uh, And one that, you know, it's good to see people still write about and still bring up in these stories. And that makes me hopeful for the future of Star Trek for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Kern shows up and Cisco introduces everyone. And I like Kirk's statement about these Klingons. <laughs> yeah, they seem a little different than the ones I remember. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. And then of course he's going to introduce them to the Chancellor, and that's when we transfer back to Bajor, where McCoy and some of the rest of the crew, Spock and whatnot, are, are all in this, basically this concentration camp, and they meet Dr. Bashir. Again, another kind of nice character reveal, and a really well-drawn likeness of the good doctor, for sure. <laughs> it is. He looks younger. He looks like, uh, he reminds me of the younger Bashir from, you know, the, the first, second, third season, mm-hmm. and... um it turns out, you know, he he thinks they're delusional <laughs> because of the story they're telling him about this omnipotent being bringing him there. <laughs> then Spock and McCoy tell him who they are, and he's, wait, you're from the Enterprise? And he, they're like, you know us? And he's like, basically, duh, but that's yeah. impossible. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> They have this conversation, and and I, I really like it, the fact that the Federation no longer exists. They're finding this out for the first time. But Bashir tells them, look, uh, there's somebody that you need to meet, so hold on for a second. You know, leave that to me. And then we transfer back to this amazing shot again of Terra mm-hmm. in San Francisco, which they still call it San Francisco, apparently. <laughs> and we're at this amazing Klingon ziggurat headquarters and it is awesome looking Mm -hmm. the writers and the artists really kind of went to town in this issue 
Uh, there's some amazing things going on here. And yeah, the Klingon pyramid in the middle of San Francisco is definitely tops the list. Well, and I love that they meet the Chancellor and it's Worf. Of course it I is. I mean, that's just awesome. <laughs> uh, and the fact that it, it's very interesting to see that him and Cisco really have been kind of building this relationship. You know, Cisco has been bringing him information and he seems to be very much favorable of Cisco in general and humans. Um, and so I think that this that's really, really interesting. Mm. And then Worf recognizes Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, the bane of the Klingons, I guess. Although in this universe as well, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, especially, you know, this storyline would be you know Kirk wouldn't be as formidable for them you know he he hasn't had as many Mm run-ins and I like that uh, Worf says look maybe we can be of mutual benefit to each other and that's when again we transfer back to Bajor and we have I think the best cameo for Q (laughs) in the entire series I love this drawing I can't believe how much they made the Q Cardassian still look like Q. Uh, Q Cardassian? Is that a new Kardashian? Oh, God. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping up with the Q Cardassians? <laughs> I think it's funny that he says, I don't really like being in Cardassian skin because it always makes me feel um, <laughs> constipated. And like... <laughs> Like, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. <laughs> what a great representation of just kind of the way we think of Cardassians in the first place. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, this whole story, again, much like the uh, Made with Mud story, they're having fun with it. That's what I like to see. That And that really comes through on every page. Well, and my favorite part of this whole scene, too, is the fact that Dr. McCoy's like, the next time I see him, my Hippocratic oath goes out the window, do no harm my ass. <laughs> and then Spock says, a sentiment I cannot help but appreciate, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Q can get under the skin of anyone, apparently. <laughs> uh, even Spock. Yeah, mm. it's that is awesome. Well, we have this quick scene where... One of Ducat's advisors is telling him that Cisco has escaped, he's met with Worf, and Ducat doesn't care. All he's after is this relic on Bajor, and he just doesn't want it falling into the wrong hands, and he wants to find a way to make it his. And that's kind of where we get the first inclination that maybe they're going to find some kind of orb or something like that. That's what he's talking about, that there's going to be some kind of connection with Bajor. Yeah, my assumption at this point was an orb as well or something like that. I like the scene because, especially now that I've read the whole thing, it does a great job of just kind of whetting your appetite for what's going to be coming next. Mm-hmm. Which, what comes next in the comic is meeting Quark. And <laughs> I love the fact that Quirk shows up and he's helping Dr. Bashir by bringing these supplies. But also he takes Dr. McCoy and Spock with him. And so they can go meet this person that Bashir is so excited for them to finally meet. Mm-hmm. And again, once they once they meet this person, another great character reveal as we see 
uh, Kira Norris and what she's up to in this uh, reality. Yeah, I like to call her Kira Croft uh, <laughs> because she looks just like a Bajoran Laura Croft. Absolutely, yeah. Pretty badass. Which <laughs> I really, really want this action figure. I would pay money for this to be an action figure. Uh, Kira has never looked so hot. <laughs> Definitely. The uh, kind of expedition outfit with the gun and the power pose i definitely like Kira yeah. here yeah exactly she really does look like she walked out of a star trek tomb raider game it, it's <laughs> oh, really so funny that. i know wouldn't it be awesome <laughs> oh my gosh well we meet kira and before we get any you know big revelations from her we go back to san francisco where Worf is murdered Mm-hmm. And it turns out that the Dominion has taken over because his murderers turn into founders. Mm-hmm. And that's the way this comic ends with another great just like bum 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 moment. Definitely. They've they've laid out the story in this in this series very, very well with the act breaks just being great hooks and really wanting you to download that next issue immediately or run out to the store and grab the next issue as soon as it hits the shelves. It does that thing like the end of season five of Deep Space Nine where the station has been taken over, you know, and you're (laughs) like, how the heck are they going to get it back? And then it takes them six episodes to get it back, you know, and each time you're just wanting to come back for more. That's how I feel that this is really playing out. And, you know, it's a six episode arc. It's a six issue arc. Mm -hmm. And each one, like you said, you're just on the edge of your seat waiting to figure out what happens next. And so far, I'd have to say, you know, we did just the third issue. I'm not disappointed in the series. Like I keep wanting to go back for more. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, At no point in this am I putting it aside or, you know, not wanting to read the next page. I'm enthralled. They've got me. I want to know what's happening next. Well, what's really exciting is that the next issue opens with this artifact. Uh, They are on Bajor, Quark, McCoy, Spock, and Kira, and she's telling them about the artifact. It reminds me of the tablet you have in The Reckoning. Mm-hmm. And um, it, 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 I think it probably is either very similar or very much the same type of look. And she says that inside the tablet is a, a Parath and a prophet. And actually, this is the last prophet that they know to exist because the Parathes have basically hunted down and destroyed most of the prophets. And I thought that was a really interesting flip because, you know, in the Deep Space Nine series, it's the prophets who have basically thrown the paw wraiths out of mm-hmm. the Celestial Temple and then locked them in the fire caves. Here, prophets have gotten at the raw end of the stick. Yeah, no, this this artifact, as soon as I saw it, I, I recognized it. Um, and the concept that there's a prophet and a paw wraith inside it. Because in The Reckoning, if you remember... Cisco smashes the tablet and the prophet and the paw wraith come out and the, mm-hmm. yep, the yep. prophet inhabits Kira and the paw wraith inhabits Jake Cisco, right? So it's, Yeah, which was always an interesting choice. Jake Cisco. Mm-hmm. Why? What was yeah, yeah, what was going on there? Oh, I love that episode. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Well, we end up back on Earth and 
before we know it, as the Dominion is saying, oh, we've taken over, we're going to be awesome, uh, the ceiling comes crashing down. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it because everybody else moves out of the way except for the founders, and they get (laughs) smushed. (laughs) I I don't know exactly how that worked out so fortuitously, but uh, awesome. All right. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome, and and what shows up is the the chafee, or basically one of those really small shuttlecraft there from the Defiant, and O'Brien's come to save them, which I love that O'Brien throws out a rope ladder to them. <laughs> yeah, you know, a high tech shuttlecraft with warp drive and and what is it, photon grenades. But we'll lower a rope ladder down to you. Yeah, it's much more exciting if somebody has to climb a rope ladder. Uh, (laughs) They end up back on the Defiant, which is great. And then we transfer back to Bajor in the comic. And unfortunately, Quirk becomes the jerk that we all kind of thought him to be in the series at the beginning. And he sells out Kira, which that's just... uh, how, How? Yeah, I was a little disappointed with that. Um, I'm I'm a huge Quirk fan. I love Quirk, and oh man, really. But I mean, I guess he is a Ferengi, and whoever's going to give him the most profit, I guess that makes sense. Well, and I love that Kira's like Quirk, you traitorous bastard. <laughs> it's just classic Kira. Absolutely. And if he's going to betray somebody, I guess I'm glad it's Kira because she always expected that he would anyway. So right. Right. Well, they take control of the artifact, and then the Defiant is trying to escape from the Klingons, and there's something wrong with the warp drive, and this is where, of course, Scotty gets to shine, and he fixes the warp drive, and uh, I liked that. You know, they (laughs) kind of gave him that little moment of the engineer, uh, you know, fixing something, even though the technology is 100 years in the future. (laughs) Well, they don't call him a miracle worker for nothing. (laughs) That's true. Well, it's it's really cool because you get this whole scene where they're walking around here, the, the Defiant, and Kirk says, I need to get back to the Enterprise. And right as he does that, Q takes him to the Enterprise and shows him <laughs> the fact that the Enterprise is, is taken over now by Cardassians. And he tells him, look... I think uh, you need to realize that your options are really getting limited and the fact that this is this is much more of a no-win scenario than you think it is going to be. And Cisco tells him, look, it's going to be fine when Kirk comes back. Have you ever been to paradise? And I was like, <laughs> this is the point of the comic where I think the first time where I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah, like I didn't know what that meant, but that, which I thought was great. Because it was one of those things, like, so much of this comic, I've been to places that I've already known or seen before. And now the comic was really throwing me a curveball because I didn't know what to expect at all when he said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Like you said, I just, everything, I wouldn't wouldn't say predictable because it hasn't been predictable. It's been a really fun ride, but it's all been familiar, you know, you yeah, the characters exactly. you know and love are kind of still inhabiting the roles you would expect them to in this changed universe. Uh, but yeah, right there, I was okay. What's going to happen next? I don't get it. Well, and then the scariest part is that finally, Ducat has 
the tablet. I mean, he's he's got he's got Kira in his office with Spock and McCoy, and he takes the tablet and he smashes it. And then, of course, out come a paw wraith and a prophet. And again, another great scene, just saying, you know, to be continued. And you're like, dang you, <laughs> give it to me now, which. I just hit the button and it goes to the next issue. So that's really nice. Absolutely. And isn't that that last page just gorgeous? Ah, I love I love the artwork in these. It's fantastic artwork. Um again, I think all of the artwork here in this series has just been beautiful. With issue 5, we end up at Paradise, which is apparently the outpost for the resistance and it's a place where obviously there's uh, it's really well hidden and they're not able to actually contact them. And and O'Brien is worried because they've never had this kind of problem before. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that he had a reason to be worried because once they get there, this place has been obliterated. Mm -hmm. Paradise ain't so much paradise anymore. Apparently (laughs) not so much. No. Uh, Once they get down there and investigate though, we get another couple of uh, deep space nine, reintroductions and so we get jake of course uh cisco's gotta have jake appearing in this issue jake cisco (laughs) absolutely and of course my absolute favorite and i was so happy to see her we get jadzia dax yeah um the only thing i can say is this i just wish there had been more jadzia dax uh she doesn't (laughs) unfortunately get a lot to do in in the issue mm-hmm. at all and i was disappointed with that what's great is she asked cisco you know uh, why are you here weren't you supposed to meet up with kira and cisco says look it is imperative that we meet up with her because it might be our only chance and as we get back to the station we realize why this pa wraith is taking over ducat and he <laughs> says to them now witness the birth of a god. <laughs> and I can totally imagine Mark Alamo saying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like Dukat. Uh, this, if they'd have done this story on Deep Space Nine somehow, uh, I can hear all of these actors playing the parts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, and as he's being taken over by the Pa Wraith, the Prophet is looking for a willing vessel, and it finds Kira. And sadly, before she can be taken over by the Prophet, he kills her. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, not (laughs) Kira Croft. I need her to live. Yeah, no. Really sad. Absolutely. Dukat is just, like, he was a villain in Deep Space Nine, and he was awful, but... Here, holy man, we we see Ducat just being awful. Yeah, if we could say it on this show, there's just one word for him, and it starts with a D. I think you know what I'm talking about. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he is just not a nice dude. He's a dwarf bag. Uh, <laughs> it it is not cool. Um, well, sadly, uh, you know, with Kira dead and him taken over by a paw wraith. Kirk really doesn't know what's going to happen. And Kirk <laughs> is confronted by Q and he's kind of complaining, look, don't you understand what's going on here? This is not a game. People are dying. And and Q's like, uh, why you're complaining? Why don't you take a look at what's going on over there? And of course, 
Benjamin Sisko <laughs> is taken over by a prophet. Definitely. I mean, where else is a prophet going to go but his beloved emissary? That is something that's interesting here is they never even talk about the Benjamin Sisko being the emissary or if he is the emissary at all. Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing I... I Thought that they might go there, but I kind of liked that the prophet needed just a willing host, and it would have chosen Kira if it could have, but it wasn't able to because she died. Mm-hmm. And so the prophet has chosen just Cisco because he's also a willing vessel for him. It is really cool. They do some great things here. They they also explain kind of what prophets are, you know, for people who might not have seen all Deep Space Nine, the fact that they're a race of extra-dimensional beings— Odo says they're peaceful, um, and and he thought them to have been wiped out. Because Cisco is now part prophet, he's also kind of has seen what's going on mm-hmm. on the station, and so Kirk's like, that's where we're going, because that's where my crew are. One of the, the neatest parts of this is is watching the fact that Dukat says that, you know, he's going to go to the wormhole, he's on the Enterprise, and... <laughs> Oh gosh, I tell you what, that check off. Is there anything he can't do? <laughs> Absolutely. No, he can uh he can pluck someone plummeting through the atmosphere in a transporter. Uh he you know, Russian whiz kid and he can break them out of a 24th century Cardassian prison. Yeah, I mean, who can't? (laughs) (laughs) What I like is that, um, you know, they end up walking into the corridor and they walk into Spock and McCoy being brought to prison. (laughs) And that allows Spock to to be able to take over uh, and give a Vulcan neck pinch and then knock the other one out real quickly. And I love (laughs) it. McCoy's like, couldn't you have just done that a few seconds ago? I mean... Like, why, and Spock's like, uh, the distraction, did you not pick up on that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I love the kind of interplay between McCoy and Spock as well. Very reminiscent of, of the old Bones and Spock from TOS. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Well, the Defiant finally arrives, and um, they they notice that the Enterprise is moving towards the wormhole, where... Ducat tells them as he comes on the screen, Hello, Cisco, or should I say greetings, prophet, or as I like to call him, Cisco P. <laughs> I like it. I think it'll stick. Yeah, so um, Ducat says, You dare not follow me, especially where I'm going, which is to the Celestial Temple, and says, We need to go after them, and, and Cisco tells him, Look, we can't go in there. That's certain death. I don't think you understand. Right now, the Paw Wraiths rule that dimension, that area, that that dimension of space. And if we go in there, we're just going to get killed. It it really reminded me of the moment that we were talking about in the uh, Dominion War arc, retaking Deep Space Nine, when the Defiant, kind of against all odds, goes into the wormhole to face off against a fleet of thousands of Jem'Hadar warships and you know, right when yeah. when Cisco went in there, that was a no win scenario as well. If not for the intervention of the prophets, right? Um, this kind of idea of the no win scenario really has different uh, manifestations all across Star Trek, and and this one again entering the wormhole would be certain death. What's really interesting is that Q finally shows up and kind of explains exactly why he's been involved with Olis, and he says, "Look." Kirk, whatever decision you make, whether you go into the wormhole or you don't, 
your decision will not only affect the entire universe, but it's also going to affect whether the entire Q continuum will cease to exist or not. Mm. And this is where I think the storyline just took a whole other level. Like it went up to a whole nother level for me. It was really cool that, you know, Q has an actual kind of personal stake in this. He's not just playing around and, and mucking around with things and, and being a nuisance. He actually has reasons for what he's doing here. And this is kind of our first hint that that's the case. What I love about the way issue six starts is that he really does start to explain, look, you think that that I'm just kind of this God thing that is here to taunt you, but the, the continuum is in a war, and he says it's a multidimensional war, and it's raging on all sides, and the continuum is about to lose and that they've been fighting against the paw wraiths. And this is what was so cool. I thought this was such a great idea that the Q continuum shares this, what they call extra dimensional space with several other evolved species. And usually it's been quiet, quite docile until the paw wraiths. Mm -hmm. So smart. (laughs) Yeah. The new badass kids on the block came in and ruined it for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) If we could name that the show, that would be awesome. <laughs> Badass kids in the block. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, how smart is it to kind of link the profits in the continuum? And what was so interesting to me to kind of see, you know, we have this whole conversation of what are the profits. And the question is a little bit answered here, but then also left vague because... They may have evolved, but obviously it's been, you know, what we might consider maybe millions of years, obviously, it seems like, because they've been around, if not longer, than the Q continuum. Mm-hmm. And so, and in some ways, they have a, some powers that the Q continuum doesn't even have, mm-hmm. because they can actually control things in that extra dimensional space, whereas later on, Q won't be able to. He can only muck around with things when they're in our three-dimensional space. Right. So there's a there's a severe limit to his power compared to the the profits and the pot rates. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Superman on Krypton. He's just a normal person living there, but when he comes to our solar system and our sun somehow gives him this extra power that he can use, it's kind of like in the Q continuum. The Q are just hanging out kind of like being regular people, but when they come down to our level, suddenly they're omnipotent and omniscient. Yeah, it, it's really, really cool. And and this is what I love about it is that Q admits, look, it is embarrassing, but I need your help. <laughs> and that's why he's brought Kirk here. And again, we get this amazing scene of deeper inside the wormhole with the Enterprise being surrounded by these paw wraiths, it is just an awesome, awesome picture. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, as I've said, the artwork is just gorgeous. And then we go to the next page and we see Ducat greeting his you know, fellow paw wraiths who then take over the rest of his crew so that they can converse with this lowly life form that has dared enter their realm. <laughs> What's so interesting, too, is that Dukat's telling them, look, I want to be you. I want to be a Paw Wraith. The other Paw Wraiths say to him, you know, you seek our blessing and yet you 
we sense one of us trapped in you within your corporeal form. How are you doing that? Why are you imprisoning him? And he's like, uh, because I want something from you, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really interesting to see the way they've used Dakot here, that Dakot is so evil and so maniacal, mm-hmm. he can actually trap a paw wraith in his body and not allow it to leave. Yeah. Like, this dude is... <laughs> The devil incarnate. Yeah, so power hungry. <laughs> you know, yeah, how are exactly. you able to trap a paw wraith? Well, pff, I'm Ducat. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> I'm Ducat. <laughs> that's all the explanation you need. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you know, what else What else is there? Um, but he says, look, maybe we can help each other out. And, and the, what he's meaning is, look, I've brought you the last prophet because in comes the defiant with the last prophet. And what was so cool here was to see Dukat beams over Cisco and Spock and Kirk and Q over to the Enterprise and he's gloating and all of this and then he kills Cisco. And you're like, what? <laughs> he's killing Cisco. Oh man, are you kidding me? Like isn't that the point? Like we're supposed to have a Cisco Dukat fight again and then it then Cisco kind of releases the prophet into Spock, and Spock becomes one with the prophet. And I, I love the scene. He's just kind of walking around. Everything looks different to him. Mm-hmm. And then Spock makes the wisest decision he's ever made in his life. <laughs> oh, what a clever Vulcan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> love that. Yes. Mind melds with Q, transferring <laughs> the consciousness and then an awesome, awesome picture of, <laughs> is that Q Jesus? It kind of looks like it. And I mean, you know, that's that's <laughs> just what we needed, right? Giving Q more power. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Well, and, and what's really interesting, and, and this was another cool thing, Q combined with the powers of a prophet, <laughs> in some ways, I think those combination of powers is exactly what we kind of think of as God. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, all of those powers where Q is, he can be omnipresent, omniscient, and be able to control things in any dimension of space. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, not, not really a good thing. And I love the way that he basically just melts Dukat down (laughs) like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yeah, since you were so eager to depart from your flesh and blood form to cut, say goodbye to it. Zap, gone. <laughs> it, yeah, that was awesome. And then the issue comes to an end. Um, you know, Q thanks Kirk and Spock for for helping him, and, which doesn't really happen ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but he actually does say thank you to them for their help and tells them, "Look, it's it's time for for you to be able to go." And what I liked and I thought was really interesting, what did you think about this, Dan? The fact that it's only Kirk and Spock who remember what happened to them. I thought that was kind of a neat idea. Um, I mean, it doesn't really uh, play into the story all that much, but I thought it was kind of a good idea to keep it so that only certain people have knowledge of what the future might be and that kind of thing. So I understand why they did that. And that's kind of... I mean, uh, Q's been known to do that before, right? Like all good things, Picard's the only person who remembers the whole three different time periods, anti-time thing. So I thought that was kind of a neat choice. 
What did you think about uh, the very last page of the comic and, and the end of the, the series here? That final page, I cracked up when I read that. So Q appears back on the Enterprise E uh, to visit Picard. And of course, he's glowing with the power of Q and the Prophet combined. His eyes glowing and his body giving off these weird blue sparks. He says, hello, Jean-Luc. Picard just looks at him and says, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. It was really perfect. I thought that was um, great. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it was really well done. Uh, so what would you, you know, kind of putting it all together, all six issues, what would you end up rating this this whole series, do you think? Well, it was very excellent. I, I enjoyed it, like I said, from beginning to end. Um I think I would have to probably give this story five super cues out of five. <laughs> oh man, that is a high rating. Um, I'm, I'm so happy with the way this ended. I, as I said at the beginning, I hadn't finished the series until today, so I didn't know how it ended. Um, and until now, and I am so glad that it ended so well. I, I feel like. The story really did pay off in the end. You know, the whole going with the Deep Space Nine crew and all of that really comes off well. They use the characters well. They sound great. The artwork in this is fantastic. The way each issue ends making you want to read the next issue. And then the finale, I think it all really works. Mm-hmm. And it's an it's a series of issues Unlike a lot of the ongoing comics where I feel like I am going to want to read this one again. Um, mm. And that speaks really highly uh, of, of of the series and, and what they were able to accomplish in these six issues. And I didn't feel like on a whole that any of the issues could have been eliminated and you could have still you know done the story well. I did feel like there was a reason for everything that happens in the comic, and I really appreciate that by the end. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to give this one Kira Croft. <laughs> Whoa, I think that's, that's a good a enough really rating. really high rating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I loved the way they used the Deep Space Nine crew. It, was, um, it wasn't superfluous. It wasn't just for the gimmick of it. It was a story that only the Deep Space Nine people could be a part of with the prophets and the paw wraiths really using all those elements of deep space nine really well. And like I said, instead of just going with a gimmicky, Oh, here's a cool crossover thing. It actually served the story very, very well. I agree. Well, Matthew, that was a lot of fun talking about the Q gambit and it really makes me hopeful uh, for a lot of these ongoing stories going forward. Yeah, I really agree with you. Um, I, I think that they have hit a stride with the storytelling here, and I'm very excited to see this continue. And the next set of issues we're going to be getting, I think, is called Bohemoth, and I'm excited to see where that's going to go. So, uh, you know, as long as they continue to really make it their own, and that's what I really liked about the the way that they used the Deep Space Nine characters and that storyline. Mm-hmm. They made it their own. You know, they used some of the familiarity we have with the Deep Space Nine characters and stuff, 
but they also made it feel like a new story. And I liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you noticed the uh, artwork for the next uh, series of stories. It looks like uh, Uhura actually gets sleeves and believe it or not, pants. What? I know. (laughs) That, that'll be interesting to see what happens there. So it's been fun talking about comics in the Q gamut today, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trek FM for the past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's, it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, it's very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so, it our birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like, they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well-thought-out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being... Over many scenes, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And guess what? If you're an Apple user, just hit that subscribe button. It helps us out greatly and it makes it easier for other listeners to find the show when they search in iTunes, as do star ratings and reviews. If you give us one of those, we'll definitely give you a shout out on the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com, you'll find all of our current goals and milestone contribution levels, along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on the content development team, and more. We are a listener-supported network, and without you, we definitely can't do this. So we appreciate all the support that you can give us, and we hope that you will join our team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash checkfm. And with that, we'd like to thank Will Wynn, who's one of our associate producers. He's on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn, and of course, in the Babel Conference. He is an associate producer on The Orb and Earl Grey, and is Trek FM's content coordinator. If you have any ideas for a future show or content ideas, just... Email him at will.win at trekfm or 
send them a tweet. We'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and for being an associate producer on Literary Treks. You can find her on Twitter at Flip18. We'd also like to thank Kenneth Tripp for his support of the network and being one of our associate producers here on Literary Treks as well. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that on trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page or just go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We are on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and we have the Babel Conference, which is our listener-only discussion group. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring literary treks and all of our shows to each week. And of course, our sponsor is Audible.com. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. And we'd like to thank Audible for supporting literary treks and the network. Now, Dan, when you're not figuring out how you can find that alternate version of Dax who hasn't fallen in love with Worf so y'all can hook up, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, you can find me uh, online. My website where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new, is www.treklit.com. You can find me on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash treklitreviews. And I'm on Twitter at treklitreviews. As well, my Reviews of newer novels get republished on trekcore.com. And Matthew, when you're not chasing down a f- an action figure version of Lara Croft, Kira Norris, where can we find you? Well, you know, that does take up a lot of time these days. Uh, maybe I can get one 3D printed. Hmm. Oh, there's an idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb with christopher jones where we talk about deep space nine all the time so if you enjoyed this conversation we had here on literary tracks about deep space nine join us over there you'll also find me on the 602 club where we talk about all things geeky all the time there we just choose a new topic each week and go to town enjoy some drinks with ruby and uh, in fact last week had a great show talked to norm and john champion there about raiders of the lost ark fantastic conversation you can also find me as well on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.